Good morning and welcome to the March 2022 ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report. This monthly conversation is intended to help you stay on top of global fertilizer prices and buy in bulk at the most opportune times. I'm your host today, Zach Jans, and today we got Jordan Berry with us from the grain side. Jordan runs a processing plant in Mankato, Minnesota. We got BK Morris from Fruit Weekly. And at the end, we got Jake Nieder here with us to talk about, oh, what a market it's been here for the last month. Jordan, why don't you get us started here today? Morning, everybody. Obviously, interesting markets here over the last three, four weeks. We've certainly seen an extreme amount of volatility, whether it's in the grain moves, the financial moves, and obviously our world dynamics. So it started off here. This week has a lot of eyes on it, right? We've got our first hard number of planning intentions coming out later this week. That's probably what everybody has been or wants to talk about. But to be honest, that's probably not the main lead as we look at what's happened and what's going to happen. We'll certainly see the numbers come out between corn and beans. But as we see what kind of weather comes out as we get into planning and we kind of see what else happens in the markets, I think our corn bean number is certainly going to change. Obviously, estimates that we see out right now through multiple sources is corn has a 91, 92 in front of it. Beans is somewhere between 88 to 90. And again, it's just going to kind of be a moving target as we've just got a lot of other things that can swag those numbers. So flipping specifically more to the commodity side of our business, specifically corn and beans, Obviously, Ukraine and Russia have added extreme volatility to our market, certainly changed up the overall trade flow dynamics. As we start in corn, you know, I think everybody felt the impact of taking away the Black Sea for our world supply type origin market. It kind of seems like that's calmed down over the last two to three weeks. But again, it will still feel like we've got quite a bit of volatility coming there. It's interesting to know when you take Ukraine or you take Black Sea out of our supply chain for the world, there's really only one major place that the world can come in and replenish or replace those lost tons. We certainly saw that within the first three or four days of Russia-Ukraine happening, we saw the Korean market move very, very quickly to go book some pretty spot cargos, which is pretty unorthodox for that buyer. And the biggest key was they bought some high flat priced values, which the Korean buyer is pretty savvy. They're able to trade some pretty dynamic, cheap values worldwide. But again, with the panic that we experienced with Russia, Ukraine, there wasn't a lot of options. Looking at the corn S&D, we still continue to stay under that 1.5 billion bushel carryout number, which again, I think you guys have all heard me on this call over the last 12 months. That's the key number that really wakes up the world. It wakes up Chicago, certainly puts more of a friendly environment. We'll kind of see where we pan out. But again, we are certainly looking at we need to have good planning coming in this year. The acres number has to be pretty fair. The yields got to be pretty fair. But it just continues to feel like we're going to be hovering around or below that 1.5 billion bushel carryout here for the the foreseeable future. Not to mention, we have no idea when Russia, Ukraine, and when we open back up the Black Sea. So again, it just continues to feel like we've got an overall pretty good tone in the corn S&D as we look forward. Speaking of trade flows and movement, I think everybody on this call has continued to feel that transportation over the last few months has been tough. You see it in pretty high barge freight values. 
you see it in extremely high third-party rail freight. This time that we're looking forward to in Q2 is where corn becomes the leader in the export program. That's not really a surprise. The surprise right now is it just feels like the pipelines continue to be probably thinner than what most would like, especially with different vessel lineups, you know, looking at various ports. That's just one thing to continue to monitor, and and that will add to the volatility as we see it, and we have seen it in the corn spread specifically. So, again, transportation as we look at going into planning, moving stuff off the farm, moving it to the right corridors is going to continue to be a challenge. Just another thing to monitor. As you look at recent business on corn, overall, the last couple of weeks has been pretty quiet. We saw the knee-jerk reaction with Russia, Ukraine. We saw bookings happen, but here lately, it's just been pretty quiet. I think, again, going back to the pipeline situation, we probably have to see that develop a little bit more before you see any more buyers really come into the market. Flipping on corn from export into here domestically certainly feels like the processor continues to be fairly comfortable, you know, going through ownership, going through grind. And I think the overall margin structure, it's good. It's not great. It's not bad. You know, it's just going to continue to be pretty stable, which again, the underlying factor that will mostly change that the overall carryout number if we want to really drop below that 1.5 billion bushel corn carryout. So again, a lot of factors happening there in regards to the corn side. Flipping over to beans, it has been quiet from the U.S. standpoint. We haven't seen a lot of new big-time demand flip to the U.S. in regards to Russia, Ukraine. Again, that was more of a corn play with taking the Black Sea out. From a bean standpoint, this isn't a major surprise where Q2 is becoming really dominated by the Brazilian production. Even as we continue to see reductions we keep seeing the Brazilians take down what they have in the country. We still continue to see them actively and aggressively selling to, you know, specifically China. We saw over the last three to four weeks, the Chinese came in and covered their April fairly quickly. And I want to say fairly easily out of Brazil. We look at the May book five days ago, the Chinese still had quite a bit of their May book open. And the very next morning, you had seen 30 cargoes of beans trade out of Brazil into China for May. That is how quickly things can change. And again, as we look at the Brazilian production that keeps getting reduced, they still have quite a few tons to move. And even though the production is being decreased, the production number is still fairly decent if you look on a historical basis. So again, more to watch there where there has been activity. Obviously, I think everybody on this call has probably seen it. It's been in the new crop time frame on beans. A lot of shuttles have traded. We've seen a lot of announcement on bookings going to China as we look at late SEP, Nov, and even December. Again, continue to monitor that. Continue to look and see what makes sense from the farm as you start seeing your Q4 22 basis moves. Demand felt really, really good. We've seen some high premiums trade. But as we look at it now, again, it's pretty quiet. So continue to watch as logistics look, as freight's moving, and specifically as people want to cover some of their Q4 book. Flipping back like I did on corn to the domestic bean market, really no major change than how we've been the last 8 to 12 months. Domestic use from the crusher is very good. The margin structure is there. 
the meal demand is very good. The oil demand is very good. Continue to watch in your local markets, any kind of basis pops, any kind of movements. One thing's for certain, whether you look as a crusher, as a corn processing agent, as an exporter, the key for all of this is the transportation. So as we see the volatility in transportation, as we see things open up, continue to watch that and make sure you make the right business decision for each and every one of the individual businesses. So with that, I don't have a lot more to add. So from here, I'll pass it back to you, Chance. Thanks, Jordan. Definitely a dynamic market, no matter how you look at it, whether you talk about freight, whether you talk about flat price basis, all those fun things. I mean, it just continually adds volatility, continually adds dynamics to every marketplace. BK, why don't we just jump right into fertilizer here? Good morning, everyone. I'm BK Morris with Fertilizer Week. I'm going to talk mostly about the overseas impact on the U.S. and the global impact in markets on the U.S. and what we're seeing this week. Since the end of last week, we've had a $490 increase in the cost of ammonia at Tampa. We've had a $199 increase in the cost of sulfur at Tampa. And this is going to push phosphate prices higher. I guess the good news is, to some extent, a lot of this was already built in to the current price. And by that, I mean cost of production at Tampa arguably is as low as 565 In other words, they started to bake in these increases as the international market moved because international costs were moving up quicker than they were in the U.S. The U.S. got a bit of a break for about a month on the ammonia increases. So the impact on phosphate prices in the domestic market, I want to be clear, we're going to see some higher prices as a result of these latest contract settlements for the supply of those products to Mosaic. But we're not going to see a $400 jump in phosphate price the way we've just seen with ammonia. To give you a point of comparison, this week we've seen a couple of barges trade at $1,040 for MAP. Those no doubt are headed for Brazil or perhaps Argentina. What that works out to is about $1,155 on a metric ton basis FOB U.S. Gulf. Why can the exporters afford to pay that much? Well, because the price in Brazil right now is $1,300. The high end, anyway, of of their range is $1,300 CFR for MAP. So what's going to pull the prices of phosphate up is the competition from Latin America primarily for tons. We'll see a lot of the movement for that over the summer. And especially now that we're very close to the end of P&K, being able to get from production up into the Corn Belt or even over into the Arkansas River in time for it to be useful for the uh, current crop. But most of that hit from those higher costs won't be felt in the domestic market in the very near term, unless somebody really does need to acquire a barge for this crop. And from my conversations with folks like yourself, that seems to be pretty minimal at this point. Moving on to urea, the metric ton price for urea in India is indicated as high as $1,080. The last week, we've actually seen urea spin up, began to get a little uncomfortably close to that 1000 mark, or at least moving in that direction. But this week, the price has actually come down at New Orleans for urea. We had lows of 990 The reason for this appears to be mostly psychological. The Ukrainians and Russians are sitting down, they're talking, what that'll lead to, I'm not going to speculate on. But that prompted a lot of folks who were willing to go long at higher and higher prices, especially for exports again, to back away from the market out of fear that peace might break out and some of this might be settled. Again, I'm not going to speculate on not only what is going to come out of any talks between those countries, but I'm definitely not going to speculate on when that is going to produce a result in the market. I think right now, again, when we look overseas, 
and do a little bit of comparison with where prices are in Brazil. It's as high as a thousand dollars a metric ton CFR Brazil, and certainly at nine hundred dollars, the U.S. urea barges are going to be very attractive to people who are not buying for domestic but buying for export. So I think. My opinion is that this decline we've seen in urea may not last very long, assuming we see more buying from traders looking to take tons overseas. That's my opinion. You know, it's still a bullish market out there for urea. One of the other elephants in the market, we have so many, is China. And a lot has changed since the last time I was on a call with you guys. Back then, it looked like there was still a possibility that China might open up for exports in April. Well, that's gone. And the target was apparently July, and that appears to be gone too. And what I'm trying to explain about that is our contacts personnel we have in China and our market contacts, I should say, who deal in the international market are all telling us the same thing. They don't believe that China is going to reopen for exports to the wider world in any significant way, perhaps at all for the next six months. And maybe we'll be talking about it again this time next year to see if it happens. The driver here for the Chinese is primarily urea. They're looking at the international price. They are concerned that if they open the doors to all of their producers to move product overseas, that their supply will dwindle drastically domestically. The summer is a major period when their inland buyers try to lock up urea for the uh, fall season, and that is not when they want higher prices. Now, the counter to that is, wait a minute, folks, if you start exporting, international prices are going to fall. They don't care. They're not interested in that speculation right now. So every word we're getting from China is that they are not planning on uh, reopening exports, especially for urea. On phosphates, the shutdown on their exports to the wider market has never been 100%. The large state-owned companies have been allowed to continue exporting because a lot of the contracts they have that existed because they were negotiated through diplomatic channels as much as they were on commercial channels. The smaller producers who are primarily making specialty products, you know, anything from NPS to variations of MAP, they're the ones who are being shut out. And what that does is it means competitors to acquire phosphates, such as Brazil, are going to find themselves still short and still willing to bid up the price at New Orleans to export to Latin America. So I can't give you any reason to expect a real retreat in phosphate prices anytime soon. We'll see what will happen on the urea side, as I've already given you my opinion there, that I think the decline in the urea price is maybe perhaps not short-lived, but probably not going to continue for much longer at the current rate. We've already talked about ammonia with regard to the price increase and what that's done to the cost of phosphate and what it's going to continue to do to the cost of phosphate in the U.S., not just globally. However, there is some positive news for buyers. Production in Europe most of that production of ammonia should start coming back online much more rapidly, much more consistently. Basically, at this point, the cost of their downstream products, primarily dry nitrates, now is high enough to pay for natural gas for those ammonia plants to run. So the uh, European buyers will not be shopping globally as much as they have been for ammonia. That should reduce the number of cargoes moving from Trinidad overseas. It should mean more spot ammonia is available to come into the U.S. Gulf. We're not expecting a collapse in prices, but a month ago, we didn't know when the rebound downwards would occur. Now it looks like we could start to see that coming. Is it going to fall out of bed? I'm assuming not, but at least I can say with a certain amount of confidence that it shouldn't move up much from where it is now. And certainly over the summer, we would expect to see some decline unless something happens in Europe to bring those guys back into the market to buy. Those are the primary things I wanted to bring up to you guys today. I'm obviously going to be on the line 
and thank you very much for your time. BK, appreciate it greatly. Going back to what Jordan kind of said, it's a dynamic market on both grain and fertilizer here today. There's no doubt about that. Just a quick introduction to a couple of the new things we got going on at ADM. I got Ashley Dean with us as well. She's going to highlight a product, our ADM CS43 product. Ashley, you on here? Yep. Just a quick reminder to those growers that are going to be using a starter fertilizer this year. We are still offering our no sugar-based fertilizer additive. It's called ADM CS43. Hoping many of you have either talked to your sales rep about this or seen some of our information on the portal. CS43 gets mixed in with your current starter fertilizer. It stimulates the microbes and increases nutrient use efficiency. We're seeing about a five to seven bushel yield bump when CS43 is used with starter fertilizer. So if that's something that you are interested in, please reach out to your sales rep to get more information. We're in the last couple of weeks here with planting right around the corner here. So let us know if that's something you'd like to try on your farm. Thanks a lot, Ash. Another quick thing ADM came out with here, it's called Shift Successful Habits of Farming Today. That is a free six-part guide of online learning tool that helps you just basically think a little bit differently of how to take action when it comes to marketing grain and buying inputs. So if you want to learn more about that, definitely check out admadvantage.com backslash shift. Jake, we have a pile to get through in a very short time. Talk about fertility, execution. It's going to be huge. What do we do? Hopefully, Zach, most of our followers here have been listening to our recommendations throughout the last year and are well positioned because we definitely would not recommend now is the time to be making your nutrient input decisions right before the spring season. But I think a lot of us are trying to get a feel for what does the next quarter look like? What does the Brazilian fill look like? What does that do to our prices? And when, if at all, do we see any kind of a reprieve in pricing? And I think BK did a great job kind of walking through what has happened. And I want to break down for you what we're watching and what we think some of the key drivers are. And I've gone back and forth in my mind trying to think, okay, do we talk about the geopolitical drivers that we're watching that are huge drivers, or do we go product specific? So I think what I'll do is I'll start product specific, and then I'll talk about some of the bigger geopolitical things that can accelerate or decelerate price moves. So on nitrogen, back to what BK highlighted. Exports out of China, limited. Most of the market had factored in that April tons would start to come available. We all felt like it was past high season. And I think most of us, our mind thought, hey, prices are so high, these producers are going to figure out a way to petition the government and get the tons out. Well, the government has different plans in China. They want to keep food prices low. They want to keep fertilizer costs low. They're not letting those tons out. BK alluded to the fact that there's rumors, rumblings, if you will, that that could go on further, maybe see very little tons come out of China. If that does happen, I would argue that's something not baked into the price in today's current prices. If we see tons not come out of China, that would be an upward driver. If we saw China come into the market, that is what's expected. I wouldn't expect that to change the current pricing today. I think another key driver is that cost of gas in Europe. I think BK alluded to how that's really changing and driving costs for the globe. And we look at basically the European producer right now as the marginal supply point to the globe and that area where production begins to shut down and imports begin to meet. The next piece that we're watching are low inventories globally. I think that that dives a little bit into potash directly, but we're also seeing that with some of the other products as well. Potash, we know that China started decreasing their potash reserves, right, to help try and decrease the overall price creep. We've seen other countries 
dig further and deeper into the overall balance of the fertilizer that they would carry on hand. So our belief is higher prices, lower inventories across the board. The one area where there could be higher inventories would be in Russia because you've had some plants producing. Exports have not been as available. Vessels have not been as available. We've actually seen some shutting in of production, which ultimately leads to a tighter S&D, believe it or not, because you're losing production of those materials that the market had been depending on. Ammonia is a great example. We were expecting 200,000 tons a month to come out of the Togliati production plants through the Black Sea, through Ukraine, through a pipeline, and then into the marketplace. That's where most of your ammonia for North African phosphate production went to. That is not going to be available. And even when there is a ceasefire and a settling, some of that could remain under sanction and not be available to the marketplace. So we're going to lose a lot of ammonia production to the market for a period of time. And it's a significant period of time. It's not an overnight thing where it just flips back on. Same thing with potash. When you look at the global potash S&D, we're talking around 40% of the global potash production comes out of these markets, out of Belarusia and Russia. These sanctions and the fact that the company's owners are specifically listed in this and they've made changes in ownership and they're trying to avoid sanctions. But regardless, this is going to be something that sticks and it's not going to make that supply as available to the marketplace. So the market's been trying to rebalance and figure out how do we meet that lack of export availability for the global demand. We have seen Nutrien make an announcement that they're going to respond with an increase in production. That should help, but it's not more than what we're displacing. And so we have some things still to figure out. So again, you think in your mind, best case scenario, there is a ceasefire. We see the war resolve. It's going to be a period of time before those tons become free-flowing, and it's not going to be an immediate price drops. It's going to probably be a six-month to a year, year-and-a-half time frame for those things to work themselves out. Some other issues that we're watching, CVD duty issues here in the United States. We know that the Kansas senator and Kansas congressman have introduced some bills to petition the government to allow for duty relief on phosphate specifically out of Morocco. Should those bills pass, that's not going to do anything to the price of phosphates today. What's going on is we're discount to the global price right now. If you were to go buy tons in the global market today, it's going to cost us another $100 to $150 higher than where we're currently trading at in the United States. So even if we get that duty petition to pass here in the next month or two, no immediate overnight change in pricing. Prices are up, primarily as BK alluded to. Sulfur's up, ammonia's up. That drives prices up. Inventories are low. We have production shut out of Russia. Even though it's only 10% of the global trade flow of exports of phosphates, it's still enough to tighten up the S&D. Kind of lastly, on ammonium sulfate, we, we look at ammonium sulfate uh, similarly. Production issues in the U.S. East Coast that have tightened up the North American supply. We are having production issues in Europe. Some of those plants have been slowing down and plan to do some extended turnarounds in April going into season just because they can't afford the ammonia and the downstream products for those lichen and acrylic plants, that seems to be slowing too in that European market. So again, those are a lot of the different drivers we're watching and trying to get a feel for how do we land pricing going into the fill and the reset. In regards to recommendations, there's times when it makes sense to decouple the decision to buy fertilizer or sell grain, much like we were recommended a year ago and reinforce the recommendation even six months ago. Many of you 
who did this save hundreds of dollars per ton. Right now, this is not that time. We recommend you keep the decision linked, and if you lock in fertilizer, then you lock in margin. I'm a believer that there is upward momentum in pricing, particularly in the potash market, and it could very well go into third quarter, fourth quarter. But again, the price volatility we've seen and the, the overall price structure of how high this is, historically speaking, you've got to think about managing your risk more than just betting on the fertilizer. That is, I think, the best recommendation we can give right now versus decoupling it and saying, hey, without a doubt, we know prices are going here. So, Zach, those are my recommendations today. Feel a little stronger bullish on P&K. I think nitrogen will eventually start to balance a bit as we get into the summer, like BK's alluded to, a little bit of ammonia balance we could finally find as we get into those summer months, and we might see some stabilization in prices for a small period of time. But a lot of wild drivers out there that are going to move prices up or down. Appreciate the update, everybody, today. I just want to touch home again, just like Jordan and BK did as well. We talk about logistics every day in our business, whether you're moving corn to an ethanol plant or you're trying to get fertilizer to your field, right? Continue to look at logistics. Make sure they are secured as we are within a month of starting to plant corn here all over the United States. If you have the availability to take fertilizer that's been previously bought sooner than later, definitely talk to your rep. All of those things, we just need to get down to the nitty gritty and start making a plan here as we move forward. A couple of specialty products from an update perspective. Liquid starter still remains tight in most markets. If you want to talk about micros that continue to be tight as their focus is coming across the pond, not necessarily made in the United States. So again, if you're looking at micros, elemental sulfur, zinc, boron, definitely stay in front of those as we'll continue to see prices rise, specifically on the sulfur side. There's a very high likelihood we could see a two to $150 increase in price just from Q1 to Q2 here. So overall, it's kind of the update we have today. We will definitely take questions on grain or fertilizer, whatever you guys are wanting to talk about. What's the ADM position on the cracking of soybean oil? I forget what it's called, renewable diesel fuel or what it's called there. Are you guys seeing that as a viable fuel in the future? Are you making plant expansions for it? Yeah, I certainly don't put myself as an expert in that category, but I can say this. As you look at, do we see a future in it? I, I think so. Also, as you look at you know some of our expansions, and I think the markets continues to read over the last four or five months, where you continue to see crush plants or drawings or orders get put in. So yeah, I do believe the overall market is trying to go that direction as they do see it as viable. Using ADM specific, we were one of the beginners to announce Spiritwood. And then after that, you saw another announcement with us in Marathon Petroleum. They're saying that within two years, we're going to need 20 million acres of beans to supply this market. Is that a good number or a true number? It's hard to say if that's the right number. We'll need additional beans. Now, will that affect the export market? That's a possibility. Will we see other plants in the network that have to shut down because they're not as efficient? There's a lot of factors that can play of how do you go get the additional soybeans for the additional crush plants. So there's a lot of factors out there that could affect it. But yeah, if all of these crush plants come to fruition... They're going to have to be able to source beans efficiently to run them. So with the high P&K prices, don't you think people are just globally going to reduce the amount they put out and use the reserves in their soil for a year or two until these prices come down? We do think there can be some of that. And I think the, a lot of the markets started factoring this into the S&D when prices were back in the 600s. 
I would contend that there's some people who anticipated a 10 to 20% reduction in P&K application. There's some global markets that are going to struggle to even afford to pay for this. And so we, we could see reduction as well. That's one of the things that will help balance the S&D, basically demand destruction. Not seeing enough of it yet today to slow price increases down. I feel we got to be getting close, but again, you start using whatever college calculator you want to. There is margin in the corn acres. There's margin in some of the other crops, particularly as we think about the Canadian crops, the canola crops. Not seeing the slowdown in those big acre areas uh, that are really going to drive the S&D to trim back a lot on consumption yet. Generally, you'd get a lower price from now till the fall. Because we're probably going to be shipping natural gas to Europe over the next year or two or whatever, is that going to just generally raise the cost of all of our fertilizers two, three years down the road here? It's a good question. The forward curves are not as volatile on natural gas, still have kind of backwardated curves. They have risen, though. I don't think that really the driver of cost today is the natural gas cost in the United States. The cost drivers today are the natural gas costs in the marginal global production areas, which are going to be China and Eastern Europe, actually some even in Central Europe too. Those are where the marginal cost curves are located. Now, again, we can talk about all sorts of scenarios, but when we think about nitrogen prices and the future of nitrogen prices, we have to think about that Russian supply point of natural gas. It goes somewhere. Does it go into Europe? Does it go into other markets? We're going to continue to see urea find cheap sources of natural gas and be produced. But three years out, obviously real hard to tell, but I wouldn't make the argument that that is the fundamental driver to price two, three, four years out from now. I think the fundamental driver right now is demand and then those marginal supply points in those other parts of the globe. Yeah, I had read that the USDA is putting forth $250 million for a new production plant if anyone would undertake in the U.S. I've also read about Genesis Fertilizer starting a new plant in Western Canada. I'm wondering if you have an opinion on if either of those could happen or if it's too difficult to start a new one and if that would affect your real long-term. Good question. BK, I, I might want your help on this one. The last I was told the cost of a new production plant was around $4 billion. Does that sound right to you, BK? That's a little higher than we have, but if you're including, you know... Downstream production and stuff? Yeah, then yeah, you're heading for $3 billion even in the U.S. The other issue is the $250 million was for alternative sources, and I'm not poo-pooing alternative sources of nitrogen especially, but to make those competitive in the broader market, again, they still have to produce a lot of nitrogen at the end of the day. They have to be roughly equal in output to the existing plants we have now. Every now and then you see someone try to get a business model together for sort of a teapot-sized ammonia unit, even mobile ammonia units again. But I don't see those as very likely. I was not impressed from a sort of macro perspective with $250 million, as Jake led with, the cost of building a nitrogen plant. I think my favorite story in this regard, this was back in 2008, which was the last time we were in this era, on a earnings call with what was then Potash Corp's an analyst asked, Bill Doyle, wouldn't we start to see alternative sources of potassium for potash? And Doyle sort of lost his patience with the question. And so and the guy kept asking, well, what are the alternatives from potash? And he said, bananas, great source of potassium. <laughs> I, BK, I thought you were doing a play on words when you said poo-pooing, because I think that's what a lot of that $250 million is targeted to somehow the fertilization of manures or sludge or waste of some sort. 
which I think is a lot of what that source is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, $250 million for new sources is not sufficient to really drive much in the S&D. That's interesting, too. I had read that that Genesis one in Western Canada was to be a 700,000 metric ton facility with a price of $1.2 billion. But that's not even halfway for the price of what you guys were suggesting, so that might be out to lunch. Well, if he was just doing an ammonia plant, but I wouldn't say they're out to lunch. I would say that I'm not the expert there. And when I think of what it takes to build a plant, I'm thinking of downstream UAN and urea production because I couldn't feature why you would want to build just ammonia in today's marketplace. You want to have those upgrade capabilities. But I, I would suggest that it's probably a little bit more than $1.2 billion to get it done. I don't know enough about the Genesis project to, and I know there's going to be other projects like this that come up, but it's still very difficult to get done. And putting another nitrogen plant in central Canada that's landlocked and can't grab the global export market isn't necessarily going to help solve food security issues. It will help the Northern Hemisphere area, but it's not going to help the global piece. Great questions. One that came in from my phone, Jake, was, do we have any idea how much Russia actually produces from a potash standpoint? What demand got destructed from a percentage standpoint, I guess is how I'll phrase that. Yeah, our trusty friends at CRU, actually, BK, thank you, and team, they have an optic here that basically 40% of the global export comes out of Belarusia and Russia. 19% of it's out of Russia specifically today, and that percentage is going to be rising as the Eurochem plant was planned to expand, and 21% of that was coming out of Belarusia. The ownership of Eurochem, the ownership of the BPC, those were put on sanctioned lists. A lot of their chair people stepped down, they transferred ownership, things like that. There's a lot of hair around getting those tons out of that marketplace right now. If I could add a, another quick note on uh, demand destruction, we tend to think of it, you know, first, second, and maybe even third about phosphate. Our numbers out of CRU are that with China out of the market, it subtracts about a 11 to 12 million metric tons of supply in the marketplace. However, based on what we've seen so far in terms of market reaction globally to rising prices, and I'm talking about urea when I say nitrogen, we see a 9 to 13 million ton decline in urea demand. Now, I'm not sure how sustainable that is. But the markets are definitely already reacting to this, not just reduced availability, but the sharply higher prices. Do you guys tell me how many people are expected to add additional uh, UAN this year to their mix? The potassium that we displaced in terms of availability of the world market and in the discussion about nutrients, I think it was 15% increase. Can you give me an idea of how much is still, uh, I think Jake said earlier, that it's not enough of an increase to offset the decrease, but can you give us an idea of just how much we're missing there? So 12 million metric tons came out of that market zone from Belarus and Russia in 2021. How much is not going to be able to come out is still not determined yet. It's assumed right now that you're not going to have a lot of European countries taking that potash, which does shift trade flows. I'm not able to say today that you're not going to get any out of there, but uh, it's sticky right now is what I'm trying to say as things are changing and that's about as best I can give you. So 1.5 million tons replaced, 12 million tons is what came out. You can't count all 12 million of those gone. It's a portion that doesn't get consumed. Hard to answer your question with certainty. Great question so far. There's a question that came across the chat. Sounds like MPK23 bookings only 
if you're locking in margin, what about micros? Should we be booking? If there's a price out there for micros for fall, I guess I wouldn't hesitate on booking sulfur for sure. I probably wouldn't hesitate on booking zinc and boron as well. I mean, they're essential for a lot of different reasons to the plant, right? Personally, I, I wouldn't shy away from booking those products. Just reach out to your rep and we'll figure out how to get them to you. There are questions out there today. Is there probably a 0% chance that we're going to go back to any of the prices we've had in the last few years? I would never say 0% chance, but it's definitely on the lower end of expected outcomes. You'd have to start seeing some acreage shift, probably in corn, to really start driving consumption down enough to make changes in this tight S&D. Do I think we could get prices back to where they were three months ago? I do see that potentially happening. Maybe we get some of the spike out, but I think that's more fourth quarter of this year when we start to see those prices maybe flatten out. Now, again, every one of those geopolitical issues that I talked about has the potential to move price hundreds of dollars one way or the other. So if this were just blinders on, I'd probably buy potash. But that's why our recommendation is if you buy potash, sell your grain. We don't recommend specking it because there's such wild moves right now to be anticipated. I hope you guys know that normally we like to actually give recommendations and some advice, but these are tough times, right, for everybody here. And so we're trying to give you as much info as we can to make the best decision. Is there any way to lock in prices out a year? There are ways to lock in prices out a year. We have pricing 12 months out from today. Rather than get into recommendations, say we think you should do it, and I go back to if you're looking at selling some of your grains, you can lock in your FERTs and you can at least look at what your margin structure would be. That's one of our attempts to do is have a forward price at least 12 months out. Are the forward prices, uh, how do they compare with today's prices? There's not a lot of discounts in them. There's a little bit of backwardation in nitrogen values, and uh, there's not any backwardation on the P&K values right now. That'll be a wrap for our ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report for March 2022. Please join us for our next report on April 20th. Hopefully everybody on April 20th is sitting in a corn planter enjoying what they love to do. Until then, if you'd like to learn more about ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer, go to fertilizer.admadvantage.com. Thanks for listening, and from all of us at ADM, thanks a lot for the business, and please be safe this upcoming planting season. Thanks a lot, everybody.